0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. The 2023 NFL season kicks off with a Thursday night football game between the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs and the rising Detroit Lions. So today's podcast is going to be a sort of state of the union-style review of the NFL's business. We'll talk about where the league is at today, new developments for the upcoming season, and all things money and business behind the NFL. I think you're going to learn a lot during this episode, so let's get right into it. All right, I want to start today's episode with a question. I want to know if you knew that the NFL currently brings in more annual revenue at 19 to $20 billion this year than the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and League One combined. So the NFL, one league, albeit in the world's most lucrative sports market, brings in more revenue on an annual basis than the world's top five soccer leagues combined. Right? The first time I heard that stat, it absolutely blew my mind. It almost feels incomprehensible that one American sports league, albeit in the biggest market, would generate more revenue than the top five soccer leagues, especially considering that soccer is the world's most popular sport and billions of people are fans of the sport. But that one stat, to me, showcases the power of the world's most lucrative sports market. The NFL has increased its annual revenue by 190% since Roger Goodell became commissioner in 2006, from $6.54 billion to 19 billion last year. And with more than $100 billion of media right agreements kicking in this year, Roger Goodell is now closing in on his 2027 goal of $25 billion in annual revenue. Now, we all know that Roger Goodell makes a lot of money. And to be honest, it's for good reason. If you look at big four American sports leagues, the NFL is dominating the other ones. Again, last year, the NFL brought in $19 billion in annual revenue. MLB was second ahead of the NBA, actually, with 10.8 billion. The NBA was third with 10 billion, and the NHL was fourth at 5.7 billion. So the NFL is virtually doing double what the MLB and NBA are doing, and the size and scale that they're doing at and the growth rate that they're still seeing today is astronomical. Now, Americans love the NFL, plain and simple. The Super Bowl was watched by 115 million people last year, and nearly 20 million people attended an NFL game. Franchise valuations are now pushing $10 billion, and the NFL's highest-paid player this year, Lamar Jackson, will take home $80 million in salary and signing bonuses alone. That makes him one of the world's highest-paid athletes across every single sports league, but that's really just the tip of the iceberg. The NFL looks unstoppable right now, and 2023 looks primed and ready to be the league's biggest financial year yet. So I want to go through a few different parts of the league's business, but I think the most logical place to start is probably with their broadcasting or their TV deals. The NFL makes most of its money through broadcasting agreements. They have everything from merchandise and sponsorships and ticket sales and all this other stuff, but the majority of their money is made through broadcasting agreements, how fans watch the games on TV. This is where networks like NBC, CBS, Fox, ESPN, and Amazon pay billions of dollars in exchange for the often exclusive right to broadcast NFL games. They monetize the content, the networks monetize this content through expensive carriage fees and six-figure or seven-figure commercials with advertising partners, depending on the game and the audience and stuff like that. The NFL was previously making about $8 billion a year under their deals, but they recently signed a new package. You probably remember this from, I guess, 12 or 24 months ago at this point. Those deals were worth $110 billion over 11 years, most of which officially kick in this year. So as a recap of what this news was, NBC is paying more than $2 billion, which is a little bit less than CBS and Fox, for Sunday night football, some playoff games, and getting themselves in the Super Bowl rotation. CBS is also paying more than $2 billion and Fox is also paying more than $2 billion for virtually the same package. They get Sunday day games, they get some playoff games, and they get themselves in the Super Bowl rotation. ESPN is paying $2.7 billion, so more than all of them, for Monday night football playoffs and they are newly added to the Super Bowl rotation on ABC. And Amazon is paying $1 billion for Thursday night football and a Black Friday game. And don't forget about the NFL's new deal for NFL Sunday ticket. They signed a seven year, $14 billion deal with YouTube TV that pays an average annual value of $2 billion. Now, that's obviously huge. It's significantly more than they were getting from their previous partner, and they broke their deal with DirecTV that had been going on forever. Now, we all know about the decline of cable television in the United States, but this has historically been a very lucrative business for cable companies, and that makes it an even better business for the NFL. That's because NFL regular season games averaged 16.7 million viewers last year. Wild Card Weekend averaged 28.4 million viewers. The Division Round averaged 37 million viewers. The Conference Championships averaged 50 million viewers. And the Super Bowl had 115.1 million viewers. And just to give you guys some context on the size of the NFL and how important it is to the broadcast landscape in the United States. NFL games, if you took everything that was on television last year, live television, and you added them up and you looked at the largest audiences for each broadcast individually, NFL games represented 82 out of the top 100 most watched U.S. TV broadcasts last year. 82 out of the top 100. So if you add in everything else, NFL, soccer, Olympics, basketball, political programming, anything else, Thanksgiving Day Parade, whatever you want to add in there, out of the top 100 shows on television last year, 82 of them were NFL games. And that includes 23 out of the top 25. So not only 82 out of the top 100, but it's really top-heavy, too, 23 out of the top 25. Now, again, there are some other things mixed in there, like political programming, the World Cup, Academy Awards, Kentucky Derby, the Winter Olympics, college basketball, college football, and the Thanksgiving Day Parade. But the vast majority of the value that these broadcasters are getting are from NFL games. In fact, some would argue that the decline of cable television has actually been a positive for the NFL. That's because sports, and to a lesser extent, live news, are the last appointment viewing broadcast. It's the last thing that's driving millions of people to a television set, appointment viewing, and getting them to watch a broadcast on ABC or NBC or CBS or Fox or wherever it is. So cable companies, even though their business is declining, right, they're losing subscribers every single day, they have to increase their bids because these rights are so important, right? If Fox or CBS or any of these other businesses were to lose their NFL rights, it would be a massive hit to their business, an incredibly large hit to their business. So they have to keep increasing their bids, even though they're seeing their profits decline. And then you add in streaming companies like Amazon, like Peacock, like YouTube TV for Sunday Ticket. These partners are now paying up. They're paying more and more and more. Apple TV is another great example. They're now diving into sports because they realize how big it is and how lucrative it can be for their streaming business. And the addition of those bids increases the demand with the same fixed supply. So now you have a supply and demand equation that has fundamentally shifted over the last few years. And that's why rights continue to get higher and higher and higher. And the NFL is now getting more aggressive with its scheduling. One thing that I think flew a little bit under the radar and is super interesting is their Black Friday game this year. So we all know that they sold the game to Amazon for a boatload of money. But one thing you may not know is why the NFL didn't do this previously. And the reason for this dates back to 1961. This is when Congress passed the Sports Broadcasting Act. Now, this Sports Broadcasting Act said a few different things. It was basically to stop the NFL from becoming a monopoly on football in general, but essentially what it did was it provided high school and college football with protection by banning the NFL's ability to broadcast games on Fridays and Saturdays during the fall football season. So the NFL could broadcast games on Monday nights, they could broadcast games on Thursday nights, and they could certainly broadcast games on Sundays. But to protect high school football and college football, Congress essentially said you're not allowed to broadcast any games on Fridays or Saturdays during the fall. Those are reserved for high school football and college football. But there was a catch. The Sports Broadcasting Act actually only banned professional football games on Fridays after 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It says that there cannot be a substantial part of the game that occurs after 6 p.m. on Fridays. And it includes all of Saturday between basically early September and December, So the NFL, they decided to essentially sweeten its deal with Amazon by allowing the online retailer to stream a Black Friday game. Now, this obviously makes a lot of sense for Amazon. They're going to try to convince people to stay home, potentially tens of millions of people to stay home and watch a football game rather than going to their local retailers. You know that they're going to pump you up with commercials during the game to buy products on Amazon. You're going to get presented with a bunch of Amazon-specific ads, and they're hoping to steal some of the market share that you would typically see on Black Friday and move it online, move it to e-commerce and specifically on their platform. 100% totally makes a lot of sense for Amazon. Home run deal to include as part of their broadcasting agreement. But this also tells me a couple more things. Number one, the NFL continues to find creative ways to maximize viewership, right? We've seen this with Thanksgiving Day. We've seen this with other holidays and stuff like that. And now they're doing it with Black Friday also. Number two, they aren't scared of a potential antitrust lawsuit. And the reason I say this is because the law can be considered a little bit vague. Like I said, they put in quotes, substantial part of the game. They say that a substantial part of the game can't take place after 6 p.m. I'm pretty sure that the game starts at 3 p.m. on Black Friday. These games take several hours. There's certainly part of the game that's going to go over the 6 p.m. deadline. And if we want to consider the ending a substantial part of the game, I think that's probably accurate. But the point is that the NFL obviously isn't scared that they're going to face an antitrust lawsuit by breaking the Sports Broadcasting Act because they're doing it, right? I think if they were advised to say, hey, this might be a problem with the ending of the game going past 6 p.m., then they wouldn't do it. Maybe they'd move it up a couple hours or something like that. But they're doing it at 3 o'clock. They're obviously not scared of this. Their lawyers must have advised them that it's okay. So I think that's something to keep an eye on, too, how the NFL continues to navigate the broadcasting schedule to maximize value. We're seeing this with the NBA now. The NBA has historically only had a couple different partners. It looks like Adam Silver and the NBA is now going to venture out and potentially do more deals when it comes to their next agreement. Maybe they add a streaming partner. Maybe they add another network. Who knows? But by far and away, no one has maximized value from broadcasters as well as the NFL. They have a number of network partners. They ventured into streaming more than anyone else while maintaining the revenue that they're able to get from parties like NBC, CBS, Fox, ESPN, et cetera. And they've done an incredible job. It's part of the reason why Roger Goodell has made so much money and he continues to get reappointed year after year after year on new deals because he's making a boatload of money for the NFL owners. And that brings me to my next point. Team valuations keep going higher and higher and higher. Now, look, everything I just said, it's pretty clear. The business of the NFL is firing on all cylinders right now. A record 18.8 million fans attended games last year. There are five international games in London and Germany this year, including the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are playing back-to-back weeks. And the league office handed out $374.4 million in national revenue last year. We know that because the Green Bay Packers report their profits, right? And they said, we got $374.4 million as part of our share of the national revenue. Now, that's about an 8% increase year over year. And that's a check that every single team gets regardless of their local revenue. So they're still able to go out and they're able to go sell the tickets. They're able to do parking, concessions, sponsorships, all the other stuff that happens on the local side. But they get $374.4 million check from the league last year. This increase in business activity is great for Roger Goodell, the league, and its players. Yet no one is happier than the NFL owners. The average NFL franchise is now worth $5.14 billion, according to Sportico. This is a 24% increase from 2022, and every single team in the league is now worth at least $4 billion. Now, I don't want to go through all 32 of the teams, but number 1 was the Dallas Cowboys. They're worth 9.2 billion. They're soon going to be pushing 10 billion. That was a 20% increase year over year. The New York Giants are number 2 at just over 7 billion. So there's still a pretty sizable gap between the Cowboys and the Giants. The Rams were number 3 at 6.94 billion, the New England Patriots were number 4 at 6.7 billion, and the San Francisco 49ers were 5th at 6.15 billion. Now, obviously, we've seen some sales recently that started to make these valuations what we'll consider inaccurate, right? We saw the Washington Commanders sell for 6.05 billion just a few months ago, and that was much higher than people had anticipated. The same thing happened with the Broncos a little bit before that. So these valuations are really just a benchmark, and then there's a premium placed on it if they go up for sale, right? So these valuations aren't specifically to tell you, hey, if the team was sold today, this is exactly how much they would sell for. I think it's mostly in the ballpark there's this famous story of Ryan Smith who bought the Utah Jazz last year or two years ago, I guess at this point. And when he went to go buy the team, he literally pulled up the Forbes valuation on his phone and that was his offer. He said, I grew up this my childhood team. I don't need to do due diligence. Forbes already did it for me. Here's how much I think it's worth. This what I'll pay. So like it is a pretty good benchmark, but there are some outliers. And I think, you know, directionally, it's probably correct. Now, the bottom five teams were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who actually saw a huge increase when Tom Brady went there. Season tickets increased, merchandise sales increased, and they made a lot more money. So they moved up to twenty eighth, four point 4.15 billion, 27% increase year over year. Some of that will probably slow down now with him being retired, but good movement for them over the last few years. The Buffalo Bills, for as much success as they've had over the last few years with Josh Allen and company, they're 29th. They're valued at 4.13 billion, a 38% increase year over year. The Detroit Lions are number 30, valued at 4.1 billion. 43% 43% increase year over year. The Jacksonville Jaguars, who just got a brand new practice facility, looks super nice, very expensive, and should add value to their franchise long-term. They're valued at just over $4 billion, a 37% increase year over year. And the Cincinnati Bengals, even though they have Joe Burrow, even though they went to the Super Bowl, they're valued at $4 billion, 32nd most valuable team in the NFL, a 41% increase year over year. But perhaps the best example of NFL franchises becoming more valuable, again, are the two most recent transactions. The Denver Broncos sold for a record $4.65 billion in 2022, and then just 10 months later, the Washington Commanders and Dan Snyder beat that out with a $6.05 billion sale. Both of these sales represented a significant multiple to their $500 million in annual revenue, and Washington's Dan Snyder walked away with $5 billion in profit, even after being one of the NFL's worst owners and getting hit with a $60 million fine on the way out. With increasing valuations, there is one interesting thing to keep in mind, reinvestment in the teams, reinvestment in the fan bases, reinvestment in the franchises, in the logistics, in the stadiums and all. So one downstream effect that we have seen with NFL teams making more money than ever before is a stadium boom across the league. This consists of new builds, but also expensive renovations. And I'll give you two examples, the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans. Both of those teams are in the process of building multi-billion dollar stadiums. These stadiums will require hundreds of millions of dollars, or in some cases, more than a billion dollars in public funding, and they are scheduled to open in 2026 and 2027, respectively. So let's start with the Buffalo Bills. They're building a new outdoor Highmark Stadium. It's being built in Orchard Park, New York. It's going to cost $1.4 billion, they say. $850 million of that is coming in public funding, which we know there's a lot of concern around of privatizing profits and socializing costs. We know about that. But $600 million is coming from the state of New York. 250 million is coming from Erie County. Private funding is $550 million. It'll have 62,000 seats. The stadium owner is the state of New York, and they'll be leasing it out. Targeted opening is 2026. Now, the next scene is the Titans. The Titans indoor stadium actually looks pretty damn cool. I don't know if you've seen the renderings yet. They released a video and they released some images. It's going to be expensive though. It's going to cost $2.1 billion. 1.26 billion of that is coming from public funding. It's the most money that taxpayers have ever spent on a US stadium ever in history. Again, total cost 2.1 billion, 1.26 billion is coming from taxpayers. Now there's a huge debate about this. I'm actually on the side that this is probably not really necessary. Their stadium, I think, is only like 20 or 25 years old at this point. It's actually not terribly bad, but the Tennessee Titans have a point in their lease where they have to be kept up with the highest amount of standard in NFL stadiums. They claim that it's going to be more expensive to renovate their existing stadium than it would be to build a new stadium. Now, I don't know exactly how that's accurate considering no renovation in NFL history has cost $2.1 billion, but that's what they say. They want a new stadium. They want it to be able to host concerts. They want to be able to host the Super Bowl. They want to be able to host the Final Four. They want an indoor venue that has the ability to be luxurious and big and a destination for people to come visit. That's why the Metro Nashville Sports Authority is going to be owning it, and it's going to open in 2027 with 60,000 seats. But those two teams aren't the only ones. There's plenty of NFL teams that are also just making upgrades to their existing stadium. One would be Washington. Washington's new ownership group took over, and they've done a bunch of things. One thing is that they've just completely changed the aura around the team. People are now going to training camp. They sold out the first game of the regular season, and they announced $40 million worth of upgrades to FedEx Field recently, which includes new sound systems, new video boards, upgraded suites, new food, and more. The New England Patriots also recently finished a $250 million renovation project that includes the installation of the largest outdoor video board at a sports stadium in the United States. And not to be outdone, the Denver Broncos and their new ownership group, the Waltons, added a 225-foot-high, 73-foot-wide scoreboard, which is the tallest in North America, during their $100 million upgrades. So you guys get the point. If I could summarize those three topics, in general, it would be the NFL is making more money than ever before. Team valuations are going up as a result, and those team owners are now reinvesting in their stadiums for the long term, right, to continue to see these valuations go up year after year after year. And what we've seen is a trend of not only indoor stadiums, but stadiums that can host other events. It's one of the reasons why these owners don't want to put in natural grass fields. They want artificial turf so they can remove the fields when necessary to host other things like concerts or basketball games or other things like that to maximize the value that they get from their stadiums. Now, the players obviously aren't happy about this. The players aren't happy about the fact that MLS commissioner Don Garber is saying, hey, if you're an MLS team, I expect you to transition from artificial turf to natural grass when Messi comes to play you. Like, the NFL players would love that. It's exactly what happens when all these European teams come over here for their summer tours. These NFL stadiums transition to natural grass, so it can easily be done. But this is one of the reasons these stadiums have become huge moneymakers for the team, not just on NFL Sundays or NFL Thursdays or NFL Mondays but all through the off season and other events that they host throughout the year. Again, including concerts, including basketball games, including other things like that. So that's something to keep in mind. The new stadiums are getting bigger, they're getting more expensive and they're churning out more revenue than ever before. But I want to end this podcast with just a few friendly reminders of things that are going on around the NFL. Number one, Super Bowl 58 is in Las Vegas. It's going to be broadcast on CBS. However, Nickelodeon, you guys have seen their simulcast that they've done in the past with the slime and trying to get kids involved in the game. Nickelodeon is going to be broadcasting the first ever Super Bowl alternate telecast for kids. Peacock, the streaming service, will also be home to two exclusive streaming only games. One of them is a December 23rd regular season matchup between the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Chargers. And then they're also getting an NFL wildcard game on January 13th, 2024. So two games this year, one's a regular season game, One's a wild card game. Both of them will be exclusive streaming games on Peacock. And that's another great example of how creative the NFL is getting with its scheduling and how they're maximizing value. Now, this isn't always great for the viewers. A lot of people aren't going to go and watch Peacock or want to download it. The viewership numbers will probably be pretty poor for the wild card game, especially considering that it's going to be on a streaming service versus a cable over the air service. But still, the NFL is maximizing value. They're maximizing revenue and they're testing that with streaming services knowing that's the way we're headed. Another thing on the broadcasting front is Monday night doubleheaders. Week one has always had a Monday doubleheader, at least for the last few years, on ESPN. But this year, there are three Monday night doubleheaders with games on ABC and ESPN airing at once. Lamar Jackson will be the NFL's highest paid player this year after signing his five-year $260 million extension in the summer. He's going to make $82 million, according to Sportico. The players that come after him, number two, is Patrick Mahomes, $65.5 million. Daniel Jones, he just signed his new deal, $47.5 million. Deshaun Watson, who got his new deal a year ago, $46.5 million. And Aaron Rodgers, $45.9 million with the New York Jets, right out the top five. Again, those players, that includes their endorsement income. But if you zoom out and you look at just the five biggest annual endorsement earners, all of them, all five of them are quarterbacks. Number one, Patrick Mahomes, he makes far and away more money than anyone else in endorsements, $25 million a year. Dak Prescott on the Cowboys, number two, that's always been a very lucrative market, especially for the quarterback when it comes to endorsements. He's going to make $14 million this year in endorsements. Russell Wilson is going to make $12 million, number three on the list. Aaron Rodgers is going to make $9 million, number four on the list. And Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills will make $9 million as well, number five on the list. So that's it for today, though. I hope everyone's able to enjoy the Thursday night football kickoff between the Chiefs and the Lions. Football is already off to an incredible start this year in college football with Colorado and Duke and all these other teams playing some great games this past week. But my guess is the NFL is going to have another massive year, both in attendance, but also in revenue and viewership and everything else that goes along with the business and money behind the world's most profitable sports league. Please do me a favor. If you enjoyed this podcast, just go and share it with a friend. Send them the link. Tell them to subscribe to the podcast, listen to other episodes, stuff like that. Help me help you by getting more people to listen to this show. Have a great day, and we'll talk on Friday.